Today, we want to get back to a series. This week and next week, we're going to conclude this series that we're in called The Inside Scoop. As we've said each week, everyone loves the inside scoop. We want to know the story behind the story. We want to know what's really going on. We want to know the juicy stuff. Well, through the use of parables, and parables are stories about everyday life occurrences and events that Jesus used during his teaching to illustrate spiritual truths. In his parables, Jesus is teaching us the secrets about the kingdom of heaven, the secrets about the kingdom of God. For years, I thought Jesus would just pull out a parable every now and then to illustrate something he was teaching. And he'd be teaching about this or that, and he'd say, oh, how can I help you understand this? Well, there once was a guy, and he would tell a story, but that's not it at all. As we discovered in this series that halfway through Jesus' earthly ministry, he switched from teaching the way he had been teaching very openly to the use of parables. Because Jesus understood that the vast majority of people following him around really weren't interested in transforming their lives for God. They were just part of the hype and the healing that was going on during the day. So Jesus strategically started using parables to teach the secrets about the kingdom of God. We saw he taught the parable of the soils and the seed. And in that parable, he taught us that the vast majority of humanity will not receive the message of the kingdom of God. The vast majority of people that we know today will either just flat out not believe the story about Jesus, or they'll get involved in it for a little while and get all excited about the hype of going to church and all that, but then persecution and trials will come and they'll just kind of walk away and never follow again. Others, they're just too busy in life. They got too much in their schedule to have room for God. And so Jesus teaches in that first parable most people are going to miss the kingdom. Then he talked to us about the weeds and the wheat. And in that parable, he reminded us that contrary to our culture and the day that we live in, contrary to postmodernism that says all that religious stuff is a bunch of hype and you don't have to worry about it, that when life is over, life is over. Jesus said, not so. Jesus said, listen, there's a day of judgment coming. There's a day when, when Jesus is going to separate, the angels are going to separate the weeds from the wheat, unbelievers from believers, and eternal consequences are going to result. Then we talked about the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. That's one of my favorite ones because we're mustard seeds. In this one, Jesus taught that the kingdom of God is going to start real small, like a mustard seed. It was the smallest of all the seeds known to the land of Palestine. Only a dot on a finger would represent a mustard seed. And he said, that's kind of how the kingdom is going to start. I'm a mustard seed, Jesus said. I'm born of a carpenter. I'm a carpenter's son in the eyes of man. And then all my disciples, they're just a bunch of misfits from society. We're just small. He said, but let me tell you, it's going to start small, but it's going to end huge. And we saw in the book of Revelation how John said, there was a number praising God that you couldn't even begin to count. And you're mustard seeds. I'm a mustard seed. We're just little in the eyes of man when you, when you consider everything. But he said, don't, don't, don't play yourself and your importance down because you're, not only you're a mustard seed that I'm going to blow to different places of work and different schools and different families. He said, but you're like yeast and bread. Yeast causes bread to rise. And wherever I move you, wherever I plant you as a mustard seed, you're going to cause others as you live a life for God. 
You're going to cause them to rise ethically. You're going to cause them to rise morally. You are going to be my presence among them. And that's how the kingdom is going to explode in growth. Then last week we talked about the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. And basically what Jesus is teaching us is this. He's saying, if you could just get it, if, if somehow you could really get a glimpse of what's coming, if somehow, some way, some teacher could be articulate enough of speech to convey to you the glories that I'm preparing for you in the world to come, it's that you would sell everything you had. You would give it all your time, all your attention. It would become the singular most valuable issue in your life. And you would concentrate every moment of your life to prepare for what is to come. Today, we're going to go on with a parable. And remember that each of these parables reveal some unique element, some characteristic about the kingdom that is to come, and Jesus offers it only to people who have ears that will hear, those who really want to learn it, those who really want to apply it to their life. And the same is going to be true today and next week as we conclude this series. This is for anyone here today who really has a heart for God. And you want to know something about God that most of the world doesn't know. Are you ready for that? You want the inside scoop? Yes. Jesus is going to give it to us today through the parable of the workers in the vineyard. In Matthew chapter 20, the very first manuscript of the New Testament, it says in verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landover, a landowner, like a land rover, I'm driving cars, like a landowner, who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, before I can get into this parable, because we cannot possibly understand this parable unless we understand what happened just before the parable. And so we've got to go back to chapter 19 in Matthew to understand where this parable is going to come from. In Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16, it says, Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life. In some of your, your transitions that you read, it says a rich young man came up to Jesus. And he said, Master, teacher, what good thing do I need to do to go to heaven? That's what he's saying. Now Jesus responds to him. He says, he says there is only one. In your translation, you notice that the word one is capitalized because he's speaking of himself. He said, there's only one that's good. Because Jesus, even before he went to the cross, knew that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no one come to the Father except through him. So he says, he says how do I get to heaven? And Jesus says, well, there, there's only one way to get there. He says, but, he said, just obey all the commandments. And so the, the young guy says, which ones? And Jesus, you know, I, I can just see Jesus exasperated with the guy. He says, all right, he says, well, don't murder and don't steal and, and don't bear false witness against your neighbor and honor your mom and dad and treat others as you would have them treat at you. And, and the guy, he says, he says, I've done all those. I've kept all those. <laughs> I bet you Jesus is saying, yeah, I know your life. Yeah, you've kept them. And he says, what do I lack still? Tell me, Master, what do I lack? What can I still do to make sure I get to heaven? And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, 
Because that's what this guy thinks, that I've got to be perfect. I've got to work my way to heaven. How many of you know people think they've got to work their way to heaven? See, that's, that's what they do. He said, if you want to be perfect, if you really want to be the kind of guy that you're trying to represent here, then here's what you do. You go sell all the possessions you have and give them to the poor. And he says, and then come follow me. See, it always came back to Jesus. He says, you come follow me. Just go ahead. If you want to be perfect, sell everything you have to the poor. But then come and follow me and you'll find your way to, to, the, to the kingdom of God. It says the guy went walk, walked away very sad with his, his shoulders slumped and his head down because he was very wealthy. And he wasn't about to sell everything he could for the kingdom. See, he, he didn't understand the pearl of great price. So Jesus responds to his disciples by, by saying this in Matthew 19, 23. He said, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I understand there's a lot of theologians that will dissect this verse and say, well, the, the eye of a needle was a gate in Eastern. And they'll go, Jesus is just making a joke, okay? He's saying, he's, the guy walks away and he says to his disciples, he goes, I'll tell you, it's hard for a rich person to get to heaven. He says, matter of fact, it'd be easier for an animal to go, a camel to go through an eye of a needle for a rich guy to get to heaven. He's, he's kind of making a joke. But his disciples are real serious. And Peter goes on to say this. The disciples heard them and they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Who can really go to heaven? See, because they looked at this guy and they might have knew this guy. And maybe this guy really was a good guy, this rich young guy. Maybe he really was moral and ethical and had a lot of integrity in business. And, and, and maybe they thought he really has kept the commandments. He's a really model citizen kind of person. And he's wealthy, undoubtedly. He gave a lot of money to the temple. He must have given these amazing offerings to the church. And Jesus' disciples said, if he's not going to go, who's going to go? Who can possibly go to heaven? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. What's impossible? Going to heaven on your own. Working your way to heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, with man, it is impossible. None of you are going to make it, Jesus is saying. He says, but what? He goes on to say, but with God, all things are possible. We just sang about it, right? See, nothing is impossible with God. Peter then, in verse 27, Matthew 19, answered him, we have left everything to follow you. We left everything. What then will be there for us? Peter says, we have done what you told that guy to do. We sold a thing. We left everything. So what's in it for us? Jesus is patient. He goes on to say, I tell you the truth at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on this glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus at the renewal of things. Now, Jesus is making a care, not in this life, but in the life to come, the renewal of things, when the next life comes, he says. But they're not hearing what he's saying. They're just hearing to say, you're going to sit on the 12 thrones, and you're going to rule with me, and don't you know they were going, now that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to rule one of the tribes. I'm going to be a ruler in the kingdom. That's what I want to hear. But Jesus immediately goes on to say, and everyone else who has left houses or brothers or mothers or sisters or, or lands or whatever, he says, all of them are going to be repaid a hundred times as much. But look where he comes back to. And what? Have eternal life. 
I separate into two things. He keeps coming back to eternal life. He keeps coming back to the secret of the kingdom of heaven. Who is going to have eternal life? That's what he's talking about here. But look what Jesus says now. He ends this, this discussion with his disciples. He says, but many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. Now remember that phrase. That phrase is important because it's the bookend before and after this parable. That's the phrase that starts the parable. That's the phrase that ends this parable. So somehow, the secret of the kingdom of God that we're about to learn about has something to do with the first will be last and the last will be first. So let's go back to the parable, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. We're ready for the parable now. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. I remember when I went a couple years ago with our Ecuador team who just got back from Ecuador a couple years ago. I went with them on the, and one day after breakfast, we were kind of standing around and and I saw all these guys, and trucks are pulling up, and they're jumping in the back of these pickup trucks and straight trucks and all kinds of things. And I said to Ceci, our team leader, who's an Ecuadorian, I said, well, what's that about? She goes, oh, those are workers. And, and every day, some of the businesses will send a truck down, and they're looking for people to work for them that day. And, and so they'll announce that they have jobs, and, and they'll pick the people, and they'll jump in the truck, and they'll take them to the job site, and after the day's work, they'll bring them back. And we, we, there's places in America that we do that today. Well, that's what's going on, and that's what the people would have understood Jesus talking about when he starts his parable. He says, there's a guy who's a vineyard owner, and he went out to hire workers for the day, early in the morning. In, in, in Israel, the workday started at 6 a.m. They would be up far before that, and they would take care of chores, and they would have their breakfast. Then those who wanted work would go to the marketplace at 6 o'clock a.m. And so the, this guy goes, and he goes to hire people, day workers for the day. And it goes on to say, Jesus says, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, again, this is something that would pass right over our heads in the 21st century. But this, they would have caught something really important here. And that is, he was offering them a denarius. A denarius was the equivalent of a Roman soldier's pay for one day. Now, sailors and Marines and soldiers, they still gripe about their pay, you know, whatever it is. But, but to these people, these common laborers, who had no regular employment, when he said, I'm going to give you a denarius, they must have gone, what? Did, did he just say a denarius? He's going to pay us a denarius for a day's work? They would have been beside themselves. And remember, at the first of the day, there would have been a lot of vineyard keepers down there. They would have understood this, that there had been a lot of people down there trying to hire different people and, and wanting to get the best workers. And, and so when this guy said a denarius, man, they were jumping by the truckloads into his truck. I'm going to work for this guy. A denarius? Are you kidding? So Jesus goes on. Now you got the scene in your head. About the third hour, that'd be 9 o'clock in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour, and now we're talking about noon, and the ninth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon, and did the same thing. About the 11th hour, now we're talking about five o'clock p.m., the workday ends at six o'clock p.m., he went out and saw others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, here's where it gets interesting and dicey. 
It says, when evening came, Matthew 20, verse 8, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one tired and going on to the first. In this day, it was a mosaic requirement that work, that employers paid their people that day after the day's work because these were not regular workers and they needed that pay that day to feed their families. They would take the money they earned and go buy food so their family could eat that day and have clothes that day and have oil on their lamp that day. So it was a law. You had to pay them that day. And so he calls them all and that would be normal. People would understand that. But then he says something really strange. He says, I want you to have them line up with those who came to start at work at 5 o'clock p.m., and I want you to put a line back to the ones who started at 6 o'clock a.m. People would have gone, well, that's a little strange. But then it really gets strange. The workers were hired. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour, 5 o'clock p.m., came and each received a denarius. Wow. So... When those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. They're really upset. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I'm generous? And then he says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. What in the world? I I know right now that a whole lot of you are identifying with the workers who went out at 6 o'clock in the morning and got paid the same thing that the ones who went out at 5 o'clock p.m. And from our sense of social justice, we're going, yeah, Jesus, what's this about? But remember, we're not learning about business, are we? We're not learning management techniques. What are we learning? The secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So, who's who and what's what in this parable? Because remember, parables are stories that are filled with symbolism. Because what Jesus is doing is he's taking an everyday experience from human life, this idea of going out and hiring laborers in the, in the beginning of the workday. Every day that happened, it was 24 hours a day. Or tw- or tw- all, day all year long, 365 days a year, except for Sabbath days. So who's who and who's what? what? All right, the vineyard in this parable represents the kingdom of heaven. The landowner is God. He's God the Father. The foreman is Jesus. And the laborers are believers. The denarius is eternal life. That's only there's one. There's not denarius is five, six, seven, because you have one eternal life, right? You got one life, you got one eternal life, right? So denarius is eternal life. The workday is the lifetime of that individual, the believer's lifetime, their entire life from birth to death. And the evening when they came to get their wages is the transition to eternal life. That's eternity. So that's what the different elements in the parable stand for. Now, how do we pull it all together? 
What's the inside scoop? Now remember, primarily, this is a parable about salvation. Salvation. So what's the inside scoop? In this parable, this parable is about God's perseverance first. About God's perseverance. We'd say early in the morning, now put yourself in the place of the people in the first century who are hearing Jesus speak this parable. And say, okay, he went out, like every other landowner does, go out to find people early in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. But then he says, about the third hour, about nine o'clock, he went back to get more workers. The people now, at this point, would go, wow, that's, that's a little unusual. Because most of the time, people come, and they get who they're going to have work from for the day at the, at the early hour, and they go home, and then, and then they don't come back again. So they said, wow, that's, that's, so at the first time, they'd go, wow, that's a, little, that's a little strange. But then, when it says he went back at noon, and went back at 3 o'clock, and then even went back at 5 o'clock, the 11th hour, they, they would be beside themselves. They, they would, what? 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 Why would he do that? Why, 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 would he do, why would he go back all those times? Maybe 9 o'clock, that's stretching it, but noon, no way. 3 o'clock, are you out of your mind? 5 o'clock, 1 hour left, no one's going to do that. They'd be looking at Jesus like some of you are looking at me right now. It's about God's perseverance. Peter would later write, one of the original 12 disciples, in a second letter that's in the New Testament, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter would write, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, what Peter's saying and what Jesus was teaching is this. God never stops looking for people to become believers. Doesn't matter what time of the day it is. It doesn't matter what season of their life is. It doesn't matter their condition. It does all he wants is he is constantly, constantly looking all day long, every day, around the entire globe. In fact, Psalm 53 2 tells us that God scans the surface of the earth over and over and over again, looking for any man, any woman who is tender-hearted towards him, who might put their faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And he's doing it all day long. See, Peter is speaking specifically about the second coming of Jesus. Because at this time, Jesus is already resurrected, and they've been talking about Jesus, and people have been coming to faith, and all of a sudden people are saying, oh, yeah, you keep saying Jesus is coming back. He's not come back. I mean, there's been a lot of time, and, and it's been a long time ago that Jesus died, and, and you guys say he came back to life, and nothing's changed. Life just keeps going on. And Peter says, no, wait a minute. He says, he says, God, it's not slow like you understand slow. The reason God hasn't sent Jesus back is because when God sends Jesus back, the door to eternal life is shut for all eternity. And so he's patient because he wants that person to trust Jesus, and he wants him to, and he wants her to, and him to. And that's why Jesus hasn't come back as of this date. Not because he's not coming back, but because God's love for humanity is so enormous that he keeps putting it off day after day after day. So one more person has one more chance to enter the vineyard. And what's the vineyard? 
the kingdom of God. So it's all about God's perseverance. And you know, God has persevered in so many of our lives. So many of us maybe didn't trust Jesus as our Savior the first time we heard the gospel, or the second, or the third. Maybe some of us are, are pretty old in life now. And we might think, oh, you know, you know God, I, I'm too old, and I, I've wasted my life. No. See, God is still persevering to bring you into his vineyard. Parable is also about our self-centeredness. Contrasting God, who, is, who perseveres no matter what time of our life and characteristic of our life, and, and, and us, very self-centered. What did the workers say? They said, wait a minute, not fair. That's not fair. I'm going to go see my grandchildren tomorrow. I'm driving after church up to Atlanta today, and I'm sure I'm going to hear, not fair. We've been saying it since we could talk, right? Not fair. And that's what they're saying, not fair. You made them equal to us. And some of us are sitting there as we read this parable, that's right, that's not fair. That's not fair. So why would Jesus teach this and suggest this? Remember when he went back that last hour at 5 o'clock in this parable, which people would be going, wow. And, and, and he says, how come you guys aren't working? And would they answer? They answered, because nobody's hired us. It seems real simple, right? But there's a lot more to it. Why weren't they hired? No one's hired them. It's not that they were lazy and they didn't want to work. They'd been there since 6 o'clock in the morning, knowing that if somehow they didn't find work, their family wasn't going to eat that night. They were there, and they didn't leave after the first bunch left. They didn't leave after 9 o'clock. They stayed all day long, far past any odds of them getting hired. Who were these people? Well, undoubtedly, they were the less attractive people to the employers. Maybe these were some folks who had some physical challenges. They weren't completely well like some other people. Probably mixed in with this group were the, the aging, the old. And employers looked at them, yeah, he's too old. See, they, they weren't attractive. And it's not that they didn't want to work, not that they wouldn't have given it their all, but no one chose them. But the foreman said, you, you come and work for me. Exposes our self-centeredness. See, those other workers, and I get it, we, in, in, in the, the justice of management and economy, we understand that it doesn't seem fair what God did in this parable, what Jesus describes. But what Jesus is teaching us is the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And here's what he's teaching. He's saying, I see what you don't see. I know what you don't know. See, that vineyard keeper that represents God, he went beyond trying to get his grapes that day. He went beyond. He saw a bunch of people who he knew whose children weren't going to eat that night if somehow they didn't get some money. And he knew that they were too proud to just be beggars. They weren't there to beg for money. They were there for work for money. And he wanted to give them an opportunity to get into the vineyard to get the reward so that they could feed his family, see? And so his sense of justice was different than their sense of justice. He's compassionate. 
Peter says, what's in it for us? We've served you the whole time. We've been following you the whole time. What's in it for me? Later, Paul would write in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. See, that's the secret of the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom people are in competition with each other. Kingdom people want the best for everybody, even if it comes at their own expense, even if it doesn't seem fair. He says, each one of you should not only look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, he's saying, listen, if you're one of those who have been lucky enough to come into the vineyard at whatever position and through whatever circumstances of your life and through the the absolute perseverance of God because God just kept hunting you down, then you've been adopted into that kingdom. Now, the new family value is this, is quit competing with each other and quit worried about one person getting the head up or step up, and you just do what I call you to do. You just come into the, and work. See, it happens in church all the time. People say, oh, you know, oh, I, I love to sing. I, uh, they don't invite me to come up and sing in the praise team. Well, have you noticed that when you sing in the shower, the paint curls on the walls? <laughs> have you noticed that, huh? You know? But we can't, we can get competitive. Preachers do all the time. I don't have a church of 23,000, like Joel Olstein. I don't have a corporate jet. You know, it's crazy. See, because we get self-centered. But, but, but the idea is this, is that's what Jesus is revealing. And remember, it's Peter, it's his own disciples coming, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? And Jesus is saying, Relax. That's why Jesus went on to say, not only will you be rewarded, but everyone who has given up houses for me. Why? Because this teaches God's unequaled benevolence. God is benevolent like no one is benevolent. See, what, 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 he's, what he's exposing here, what he's teaching here, is he's given us an idea. He's given us a snapshot into the person and character of God the Father. He said, let me tell you what God the Father's like. He perseveres. He will keep hunting you down. He will keep giving you chance after chance after chance to work in his vineyard with the hopes that someday you're going to say yes. No matter how long it takes, no matter through what kind of water he got to go and you got to go, he is going to keep reaching out to you to offer you the invitation to enter his vineyard. He said, didn't I agree to give you a denarius? I gave you, when I told you I was going to pay you a denarius, you, you couldn't run fast enough to get to my vineyard. I gave you your denarius. He said, I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Now, what's, what's the kingdom secret there? The kingdom secret is God is so benevolent that he's not, he's not taking stock of what day of the week it is or how many hours you work. We're not punching in and out the time clock for God. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm benevolent and you need to deal with it. Let me me illustrate it in a way that's going to be a little shocking. And and I got to hurry. But I I want you to hear this in in, in a way that might make more sense to you. might, Might resonate with you more. Now, this, what I'm about to say is not doctrinally true. 
So let me qualify that right now. I don't want to get all these hate cards later and say, Pastor Pete, you're going off the deep end. This isn't theologically, doctrinally true, but what if, it, what, what if we got to heaven and, and we found out this? We got to heaven and we found out that the universal salvation people had it right. Universal salvation people, they believe that because Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind, every human being is going to make it to heaven. That everyone's covered under that sacrifice and everyone's going to be there. What if we got to heaven and that was true? We got up there and, and Hitler's there. And Stalin's there. And Ceausescu's there. And all these, all these notorious people from history are there. And we go, huh? What's up with that, God? Do you know how hard I tried to resist temptation? Do you know how many deals I didn't get because I wouldn't cut the corners and I stood for integrity? Do you know? What are you talking about? They're here. Or what if we get up there and we find out that all religions really do lead to God? And there's Buddhists and Hindus and there's Muslims and there's, there's everybody and all the jack of trades and all these kind of people there. And we're going, what? Personally, I'm going to be saying, do you know how many sermons I've quoted on Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him? <laughs> You're making a fool of me, God. Right? What if that were true? What God would say to us is what Jesus is saying in this parable. Is he saying, did I tell you that if you believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you wouldn't be in heaven? Yeah. Did you trust Jesus as your Savior? Yeah. Where are you now? Heaven. What are you complaining about? <laughs> right? What are you complaining about? See, here's, here's the thing. God is so benevolent we can't imagine it. And that's good, right? Amen? That's good that he's that benevolent because none of us deserve what's coming our way. Which is the final thing this parable teaches and that's this, that ultimately fairness will occur. There is ultimate fairness. And I'm not talking about just someday fairness is gonna arrive. What I'm gonna say is when it arrives, it is gonna be the ultimate standard of fairness. It is going to be so much more than we could have ever hoped for. It's going to be so much more than we could have imagined or prayed for or desired because God is so benevolent that his standard of fairness is so beyond our standard of fairness that we can't even begin to imagine it. See, we're going to get there and find out, oh, God, you're right. It's really true that the, the first will be last and the last will be first, and it really doesn't matter at all. Pastor John MacArthur said it this way, no matter what men's circumstances might be when they come to Christ, and no matter how well or poorly they may serve him after coming, they receive the same glorious what? Salvation. salvation. And that's what this parable's about. It's about salvation. It's not about eternal rewards, because that's not going to be the same. But that's not what he's talking about. MacArthur goes on to say, whether a person comes to God as a small child, I did it when I was nine years old, and lives a long life of faithful obedience service, or whether he comes to him on his deathbed, all come into the kingdom on the same basis and receive the same glorious eternal blessing. And when it's all said and done, when we see that the first will be last and the last will be first, you know how we're going to react? We're going to say, God, you're just. See, it's, it's right. 
Philippians 2, 9-11 says this, that at that end time, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, that's Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The angels will declare it in heaven. All human beings who lived on planet earth will declare it in unison. Even people who will be in the eternal domains under the earth, they will bow and they will confess with their tongue that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we will scream out in unison, you're fair, you're fair, you've been fair, you've given me so much that I don't deserve. God, you are the standard, you are the model of fairness. And we'll do it on our knees. And we'll do it with tears running down our face. Because he is the standard bearer for fair. So what's the secret of the kingdom of heaven from this parable? Just live your life for God. He he won't disappoint you. And don't be worried about who else is doing what and what God's doing in their life and what God's not doing in their life. Maybe right now you're having a really hard time and and you're really faithful to God and you're looking at somebody else and they're just doing the same thing you're doing and their life seems to be going well and and it's not fair. just, Just trust God. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. In the end, on our knees, before Jesus We will confess in unison. I think we'll sing that old hymn. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord God, to me. Amen. Oh, that's the secret of the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) And when we stand before him, we're not going to be saying, I deserve more. There won't be one of us. I trusted Christ at nine years old. I've served him now in active ministry for 40 years. And and every year, as I get older and understand God and understand ministry more, I'm I'm almost fearful to stand before him because I've got nothing to give him compared to what he's given me. He's fair. We're going to have communion right now, and our ushers are coming forward with the plates. I'm going to invite you to first take a cracker and put it on your lap, then take one of the cups of juice and hold on to it until we've all received. As we're receiving this, and Christians are thanking the Lord for how good he's been to you, even if you're having difficulties. And you, you, might, you might have come to the Lord early in life like I did, but you know, all that means is that God gave us so much more opportunity. God, God reached out to us and persevered to us at such a young age that, that we had so much more time to enjoy him than others who came to him later in their life. But maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. See, God is still persevering in your life because he loves you. And he wants even today to give you that gift. It's a gift. That's what salvation is. It's a gift. It's not a reward. It's a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says this. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. What's in it for me? Well, certainly not, not heaven, not, not because of who you are and what you've done. But you can go there because God is unequivocally benevolent. And right now he wants to give you eternal life as a gift. And all he asks is that you exercise your faith that Jesus truly is the Savior of the world. Romans 10.9 says it this way, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised you from the dead, you'll be saved. That's all he asks. If you've never done that, you can do it right now. I did it as a nine-year-old child. I prayed a prayer, something like this. And if, if you want to trust him right now, you can use this prayer. It's, there's nothing magic to it. It's just words that I made up then. I'm making up now. But Jesus, God's looking beyond what's coming out of the mouth to what's coming out of the heart. And I prayed to him on that day. Between my mom on one side and my Sunday school teacher on the other side, I said, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. And I get it, God. The only way I can have forgiveness is to put my faith in Jesus as my Savior. To confess with my mouth that he is Lord. Without him, I'm hopeless and helpless. And believe in my heart that he really was your son who died on the cross and that he rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering the penalty of death. And then I pray, Jesus, be my Savior. Forgive my sins. Today, I trust you and you alone as my eternal Savior. The simple words I prayed to the Lord and according to 1 John 5, 13, God's response was this. These things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I hope that you just did that. If not, and I know this is new, but do one of two things. After the service, go out to our Next Step booth. Go out the front doors, turn right, and see a big sign that says Next Steps. Talk to someone there. And tell them, you know, I'm still not sure about where I'm going to spend eternity. And they'll help you with some more direction. Or at least stop at the guest services booth or one of our literature racks and pick up this little book that's entitled, You Can Be Sure. And it'll walk you through everything that Scripture says about how you know your sins are forgiven and how you know that heaven will be your home. And it's all possible not through who we are, but through what Jesus did. And that's what these little symbols symbolize in our hands right now. What Jesus did so that we don't have to do anything but believe him. He did it in this same week when he spoke this parable. Just a very short time later, he and his disciples went into an upper room to celebrate the Jewish Passover. And sometime during that Passover, Jesus took bread and he began to break it and he passed it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, Jesus took the cup and he passed it to his disciples. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Isn't he wonderful? Perseveres. Unequaled benevolence. 
ultimate fairness. Celebrate that as you go and share that with as many people as you can.